Good morning. First things first, John, where are you, John? The one who gave me the cup of coffee. So I'm in the lobby, and I asked um, Hojin, any coffee? And he said, no, I'm, that's all right, I'm fine, I'm fine. So we come down here and talk, and within a few minutes, John walks in with a cup of coffee. Brother, bless you for your hospitality and for your kindness. You could see the caffeine deprivation all over my face, couldn't you? Thank you. And what a pleasure it is to be here again with you all. I really was looking this morning for a picture that I took last time I was here of you all, and I was going to flash it up on the screen and see who's sitting in the exact same seat as a couple of years ago, but I couldn't find the picture. So, you know, only you know if you're sitting in the exact same seat. Um, that's between you and God, not me. And I, Hojin and I are back fresh from uh, the annual pastor's midwinter conference of the Evangelical Covenant Church. It's held, um, I think, two out of three years in Chicago to see if we really do love the covenant. We have to go to Chicago in January and sit through the weather of Chicago. This year it wasn't too bad. Um, Some years they give us a a vacation year and we go to San Diego or Denver. Next year we go to Louisville, Kentucky, hot spot of the Midwest, or sort of Midwest. To me it's Midwest. Um, So we were, it was a time of refreshment and enjoying uh, the time there with our colleagues and with our friends that we have made throughout uh, our ministry time together. There are times in ministry and not just my ministry, but yours, because you all have ministries, where you, didn't, you end up going not exactly where you thought. Or, and that's where this sermon was going to go. That was going to be my sermon, that God puts us in places we never thought we'd end up, until I actually started to sit down and work through the sermon. And then God decided to put me in a place that I never thought this sermon would go. That basically is the end of the sermon. We're done. Good. All right. But I want to read a story to you from the book of Acts, a story of Philip, one of the deacons of the church, and uh, his being used by God in ministry. Philip was one of uh, seven who were chosen by the early church to be the deacons, those who, would, who were known to be full of the Spirit and full of wisdom, and they would be used to help alleviate some of the, the details of... They were executive ministers, if you were, of the early church because the apostles were so busy. And Stephen was one of them, who was the first martyr. Philip was one uh, as well. And not long after uh, Philip was given this responsibility, uh, persecution began to uh, rise up in Jerusalem. And so many of them, uh, including Philip, fled for their lives. And Philip went north about 35 miles or so from Jerusalem and began preaching in Samaria and had tremendous fruit to his ministry. Uh, Converts were being made to this new way, this new new path of following uh, Jesus Christ. And that's, what we're, that's where we find the beginning of the passage I want to read to you. Acts chapter 8, beginning with verse 26. Acts chapter 8, beginning with verse 26. And let me just read this passage for you. You'll be able to follow along up there. It's, it's, 20, it's verse 26 all the way through to the end, which is verse 40. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise. 
and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. And he arose and went, and behold, there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. And when Philip had run up, he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who shall relate this, his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? And Philip opened his mouth and began from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And as they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? Now, some texts do not have this next verse. This was probably added a century or so later, but I will include it. And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And now returning to what is normally shown. And he ordered the chariot to stop. And they both went down to the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father God, we ask your blessing We invite your presence here and the spirit of the Lord to be here. Open my mouth that not my words be spoken, but the words of the spirit of God. And open our hearts that we receive, not of the flesh, but of understanding, as we seek to follow you in this world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, Philip is having tremendous success in his ministry up in Samaria. People are coming to Christ. He is busy with doing the work of the gospel. And all of a sudden, the Spirit intrudes on Philip's work. Basically, he tells Philip, stop, rise up and go. Gives him very specific instructions. Arise and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, I kind of get focused sometime in my work. Sometimes I'm not focused, but sometimes I am. But I don't know if you're like me, but do you, when you're focused on something, when you're doing something and you're right on target with it and you're getting it done, the last thing you want is to be disturbed from that, yes? You kind of want to move on. Let's just keep... So here he is, he's winning, people are coming to the front or however they were doing it and they're accepting Jesus Christ and all of a sudden the Spirit says, stop. Here's your Google map to head down below Jerusalem. Philip's like, okay. Not only that, but the text says, this is a desert place. 
Basically, the text is saying, oh, and by the way, there's nothing there. There's no big city. There's no big conference. You're not going to Chicago in the wintertime. There's nothing really to go. It's not even Louisville, Kentucky in the wintertime. There's nothing going on. This is a desert place. God basically put a stop on Philip's work and said, I got another plan. Go. Now, you can see how this is where I was going with the sermon. God interrupts us. He pulls us aside. He wants us to listen to his voice and move on. And he arose and went. There's a sermon right there all by itself. In servitude to the wisdom of God. Bowing to his will. And he arose and he went. And behold, and now we have another little story. And this is why Philip is heading down to this desert area. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. So we got a couple of things going on here. First, a very detailed explanation of who it is that Philip was going to find out here in the middle of nowhere. Did he ever think he would find this personage out here in the middle of nowhere? So this was an Ethiopian eunuch. Now, by Ethiopian, it's, it's an area probably in the South Sudan, right on the very edge of, the, of what Middle East would have known as the known world, um, deep, heading into Africa. He was an Ethiopian eunuch. Now, that's a really interesting characteristic to make note of someone, except for the fact that he worked in the court of Candace. Now, Candace is not a name. Her name was not Candy. That was not her name. Uh, she was actually the queen mother to the, her son, the king. The king was the king of this land that the Ethiopian eunuch was from. But the king was revered as a god and was not to be besought with any kind of labor or anything that would take his mind away from being God. And so the queen mother and various people in his family would do actually be in charge of various parts of the kingdom, and the queen mother was in charge of the treasury. So there you go. Very good day, Bo, to have a presentation about your finances here in this church, because that's what we're talking about is someone who's in charge of the treasury. I'm sure that you will line that all up, right? The treasurer part, not the eunuch part. So, you know, there we go. Well, still, though, why a eunuch? Well, in many kingdoms, in ancient times, when the king wanted to have the inner circle of people who would be trusted with great responsibility, they often took young boys and emasculated them. One, so that they could be trusted near the harem. Two, so that they could be prevented from being tempted with bribes or blackmail. He was the actual treasurer, if you will. He dispensed the money of the kingdom to do whatever. It could be one of the reasons, not just that he came up to Jerusalem to worship, but he, perhaps he had business going on up there. But as it was, we have this Ethiopian eunuch who was a treasurer, who was extremely important in the kingdom that he came from, and he was returning from Jerusalem where he was worshiping. Whatever else he was doing there, or perhaps he specifically went there to worship, gives you an idea of the kind of responsibility that he had. He was returning from this worship. Now, he was not a Jew. He was either a proselyte, which basically means that they've, uh, they've converted to Judaism, or he was a God-fearer, which is probably what he was. He understood Judaism. He'd heard about it. He liked the, the religion. He liked the monotheistic God. He identified with it. And so he went to Jerusalem to worship at the temple uh, of this religion that he had adopted into his life. And here we find him leaving there and heading back to his country. And 
he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Not sure why he was reading it. First of all, it tells you a lot of details. These sentences tell you a lot of details that you stop and kind of take a look. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. What would that tell you about this Ethiopian eunuch, just that? And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Anybody got any clues? We're going to make it a little interactive here. Take a stab at it. Don't be bashful. What's that? Bingo. He knows how to read. That is not a given in that day and age. Not only does he know how to read, he knows how to read what? You would think Hebrew. It's a very good guess. It was probably Greek because the passage that is quoted was from the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Hebrew uh, writings. So he knew how to read Greek. Remember, he's from Nubia. He, he knew how to read probably his own language, but he's reading Greek. He's also, and this one might slip you by if, unless you really stop and think about it, he's also reading. He didn't have an iPad. He didn't have his phone. He's reading. He had the parchments. Those were not cheap back then. They were, not everybody walked around with parchments of the paper. So the fact that he was treasurer, he probably had a, an allowance. He had a budget, discretionary item. You know, when they're doing the budget time, it's, you know, Ethiopian unit gets uh, 500 shekels to do whatever he wants with. And he bought, perhaps he bought the prophet Isaiah, the writings of the prophet Isaiah. He's sitting and he's reading this story of the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, now Philip, inter, their, their lines intersect at this point. And the spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this chariot. And here's where things started to change for me from here on in. The word join is a very powerful verb. It means cleave to this chariot. Get on the chariot and go with this chariot. Not just stop. The chances are that this chariot was on the move. And it's because it then says, and Philip ran to the chariot. So picture in like an old western where the, 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 the character is running along the train tracks and trying to get into the boxcar on the train, right? And he's running as fast as he can and his friend is already in the boxcar and reaches out and pulls him up. This is what Philip is doing. He's running alongside this uh, chariot that's going on. Now, a lot of times you'll see that perhaps this chariot or hear that this chariot was, you know, a four-wheeled kind of wagon with a slow-moving oxen, whatnot. The Greek word is harma. All right, which means war chariot. You ever seen the old-time gladiator movies with the chariot with the blades that stick out from the wheels, right? And, you know, when they go into battle, those blades would cut the enemy in half. Oh, gone. Real bloody mess. If you've ever seen Gladiator, the movie Gladiator, that's what happened. So, first of all, Philip has to watch out for the blades if, in fact, he has it. This is a two-wheeled war chariot drawn by powerful horses. And... Philip is running alongside, and he says, and he sees that that uh, that he heard him reading the, the Isaiah the prophet. Typically, if you if you go back home and open up your papyrus you have of your Old Testament and New Testament scriptures, you all have those at home, right? Because you do Bible studies at home. Yeah, all right. There are no spaces in between the words because the papyrus was so expensive you couldn't afford blank space. 
So it was squished all together. The only way you knew where a word started or ended was oftentimes with, with phonetic punctuation, dots and curves and so forth. And the best way to read that and understand it is to read it out loud. Because then you could spell, you're sort of phonetically saying all the letters and you could, you know, this word harm, oh, that's it, harm, horse. So he heard the Ethiopian eunuch reading the prophet Isaiah out loud. That's how he knew what he's reading. My first thought was, how would he know what he's reading? Did he look over his shoulder? Well, he couldn't. He was running alongside the chariot. But he heard the Ethiopian eunuch reading Isaiah, the prophet. And so Philip asks a very curious question. Do you understand what you're reading? It's a really curious introductory question. Like, I would have said, do you mind if I hop up there? Or could you stop? Or, excuse me, is this the road to Gaza? My, that's a mighty fine horse you have. I don't know. Do you understand what you're reading? He has an answer. It's kind of a loaded question because he, Philip has an answer. He wants to see if this guy is actually curious about what's going on. Do you ever have an answer for somebody and you're just dying to share it with somebody else? Typically, we just sort of blurt the answer out, whether they wanted it or not. Do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian eunuch says, well, how can I? Unless somebody explains it to me. This is something that's not to be overlooked really fast. This is somebody who is invested with a certain amount of power and responsibility. He's riding on a war horse. Some guy comes out of nowhere in the middle of the desert and says, do you know what you're reading? Were I the Ethiopian, I would pick up a spear and chuck it at the guy, like we're being attacked by a robber. Boom. I, on my way back from Chicago, we're in the airport, and I'm waiting for my luggage. My wife had gone um, to look for one of our friends, and I'm standing there, just kind of resting on my shoulder, and a young man walks up to me and says, excuse me, my cell phone's not working. Could I borrow your cell phone? <laughs> bing, 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 radar goes up. Uh, no, my cell phone's not working either. That's what I said. It was working perfectly fine. But I pictured in my mind, sure, here, whoop, and off he goes with my cell phone. He might have really needed help, I don't know, but my first defense was a protective one. This guy doesn't have that first defense. Now he invites Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. This passage, it turns out to be extremely literary. There's a lot of comparison going on here, a lot of reference and innuendo going on here. Listen to these words that was, that was from the prophet Isaiah, which again is from the Septuagint. He was led as a sheep to slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, in oppression, in being forced down, His judgment, literally it means his justice was taken away from him. He was forced down. Who shall relate in his generation for his life is removed from this earth? He's gone. He died. If you actually read the the reference, it is Isaiah. Isaiah uh, chapter 53, I believe. I got the wrong one. Isaiah 50. Who's there? Thank you. Isaiah 57. There's actually parallelism going on. It's talking about 
oppression and deformity and being subjugated and like a lamb being led to slaughter. Who's reading this? The Ethiopian eunuch. A eunuch who was chosen probably from birth and emasculated. His future taken away. Whatever he wanted his future to be, it was taken away from him. He could not have a family. He could not have his own offspring. He was being held captive, though he had a lot of responsibility and probably had a lot of money. Anybody who was held captive against their will will rebel. Yes? I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. I want my own freedom of choice. This Ethiopian eunuch is reading this very passage about someone whose choices were taken away from him. And, in, and he did not open his mouth to contend that, to argue that, to fight back against that. And his justice was taken away from him. And the generation in which this happened, they were silent. Justice did not happen in this passage, and the Ethiopian eunuch is reading this saying, hmm, he's identifying with this passage. And that's why he wants to know who we're talking about, the guy who wrote it or somebody else. There's the loaded answer to the question that Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? The Ethiopian wants to know, who is this about? Because whoever this is about, I can identify. And so Philip then, and this is what, we just read passages where the mouths were shut. The lamb, like a sheep led to the slaughter, the mouth was shut. The generation who witnessed this oppression, their mouth was shut. And now we see that Philip opens his mouth and begins to tell the Ethiopian all about this Jesus Christ from beginning with this passage in Isaiah forward. He basically gives a testimony about what this is all about. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, Mighty God. There shall be born unto you a Savior who is Christ the Lord, the Incarnation. He tells him about the miracles that Christ did in his ministry in Jerusalem and in Judea. He tells him about the persecution that identifies with this passage in Isaiah and about his death on the cross, about his resurrection, triumphant, about his being seen to his disciples and gone into heaven. Oh, and by the way, when he leaves and goes into heaven in the last, in the beginning of the book of Acts, what does Jesus say just before he ascends into heaven? All power I give to you as I send the Holy Spirit to you so that you may preach the gospel to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Philip came from, Jude- from Jerusalem and went to Judea and went to Samaria and preached the gospel and now was told by the Spirit of God, go to the ends of the earth, Gaza, the desert, and preach to this person from Ethiopia, which is literally on the ends of the earth. The prophecy was fulfilled right here in a desert place out of the realm of Philip's ministry in a no-place land. The prophecy was fulfilled that the gospel of Jesus Christ would be global. And that is a prophecy to those who are leveraged out of society. Who are pushed to the fringe. Whose choices have been taken away from. That's who the gospel is to. It's not to the powerful. That's not why the Ethiopian was chosen. Because he was powerful in the court of Candace, the queen mother. 
I believe he was chosen because he came from a land far outside of Jerusalem on the edge of the earth. I believe he was chosen because he was a eunuch, a sexual minority. He was from Africa. He was a racial minority as far as Israel was concerned. He was on the outskirts. And now Philip has the opportunity to present the gospel to him and tell him about this. And I love the answer, the the statement that the Ethiopian gives. They're traveling along the road, and they come to a spring. It does happen out there in the desert. You have these wadis every once in a while. And you come to a spring, and the Ethiopian saw the water, and his, he didn't even have to wait for Philip for the invitation, for the altar call. He said, look, there's water. Why not me? Has God ever brought you to that place? Look, there's water. Why not me? Look, there's water. Why not me, God? And God does not give a list of reasons why not. He says, go down, be baptized. And Philip went down with the eunuch into the water, and Philip baptized him right there. And all of a sudden, in a really strange moment, The Spirit picks up Philip, and the language literally means rather supernaturally, all of a sudden Philip is gone. Kind of like when Jesus disappeared from, from the crowds. Philip is gone and transported back up to Caesarea. And the Ethiopian eunuch is left standing there. And he gets back on the chariot and went on his way rejoicing. Rejoicing in this newfound faith that he had, rejoicing in this forgiveness that he has found, rejoicing in that here is a God who did not expect mankind to live up to his expectations, but a God who came down to earth like one of us and suffered like this eunuch suffered so that you and I have salvation. This was a moment where God said to Philip, stop and go. This was a moment where The Spirit said to the Ethiopian, read this and stop and be baptized. You all just had a a marvelous sermon series on Sabbath and the power of Sabbath, the power to recreate our souls, the power to give us new life and new strength. This is why, because we are called by God, by the Spirit of God, to go at times and in places to visit in our neighborhood, in our town, in our state, in our country, or to the ends of the earth. We are told to stop what you're doing. Hear the voice of God and do what God asks you to do. And then intervene, intercept, cross-connect, land in someone else's life, and hear their questions. Now, as an aside, as an tangent, this one's free. You don't have to pay me for this one. But because of what I do, it's important to me. The Ethiopian and Philip and the chariot were the only three things mentioned, right? I can tell you right now, the Ethiopian eunuch was not the chariot driver. That's not his job. It was a war chariot. Who drives war chariots? Who drives war chariots? Soldiers. Guards. 
This is a high-level person in the government who probably had money on him, who was probably wearing fancy enough clothes that were there robbers on the side of the road, they would see it and may have pulled over that chariot and killed him. He had an entourage. He had a posse. He had a group of soldiers who were guarding him. They heard this story. God is a mighty God, and it is possible for him to be talking to one person and have it spill over, and the other person hears it. Why is this important to me? Here is what I do for my ministry. I go on board ships as they come into Boston Harbor. Our chaplains climb on board those ships. On those ships are an international crew. I never really know what country they're from. I probably have shared this number with you, but in my ministry here, um, going on 18 years now, I have met people from 159 nationalities. So, literally, from Boston, I've been to the ends of the earth. I never know what culture I'm going to be inserted into on that ship. I'm going to sit in the, in the coffee room with these people, with Filipinos, Indonesians, Romanians, Croatians, Russians, Chinese, Vietnamese, you name it, I'm sitting with them. And I never know beforehand what it's going to be. And all of a sudden now I'm in their culture, hearing in their language them talk to each other. It can be a tad awkward because I don't know if they're, you know, laughing at me, the white guy who showed up, or what. But they're talking. And somebody will walk up to me and they say, I need help. And you'll ask me a question. And and sometimes it's a very mundane question, but a very important one. How do I contact home? Because you've been home for, away from home for months at a time. And you'd like to call home and tell them that you're all right. So sometimes I'm called upon to give a detailed explanation of how to activate a T-Mobile SIM card. They don't train you in seminary for that. It's kind of like on-the-job training. Or sometimes I'm called upon to find out what's the best way to get to the Cambridge Side Gallery Mall. Or where is uh, Boston Garden because we want to see the Celtics. Or any number of sort of surface-level questions. Or you may ask me a question, something like, I, I, uh, we're going to be going to another port, and I need to get off that ship and do such and such, and I can refer you to the next chaplain down the road. But as I'm talking with you, and I'm picking, what's your name? Julia. Another Julia. Where's Hojin's wife? Julia, where are you? Raise your hand. She's Julie. Okay, Julie. My daughter's name is Julia, and we call her Julie, so it's a great name. See, it, it tells me that I'm on track. I'm hearing from the Spirit, because I picked... <laughs> So I'm talking with Julia. She's telling me her life story, and she wants to know how to load time onto her, her T-Mobile SIM card so that she can call home, and I'm futzing with her phone and trying to figure all that out for her. And meanwhile, her, her shipmate, Jason, is off to the side, and he's, you know, yeah, well, I want time on my phone too, and things are going on. But then, all of a sudden, where's Bo? There he is, way up there. Good, good. See, he pl- I planted him up there. Bo is up there, and he's watching this conversation going on, and I spot him out of the corner of my eye. And others come in, and they ask questions, but Bo's still there. And the others leave. Julie's done. Jason's done. They're happy. They're gone. They make their phone calls. I'm sitting there, and Bo is still there. And I know exactly what he wants. There's something on his heart that he needs to ask me about that he doesn't want his fellow shipmates to know. A problem in his life. Thank you, Bo. You just you did great. Everybody, give Bo a hand. And by the way, that was an excellent presentation of the finances of the church. Bo has problem that he needs to discuss. Now these are not Bo's problems, but I will list you some of the problems that I've heard. 
Bo's wife is leaving him. Bo's son is three years old and is dying from an unknown disease. Bo works for a company that has refused to pay him the overtime hours that he has worked low these past four or five months. Bo works for a company that hasn't paid him anything these past four or five months. Bo has a strange blood disease that he does not know how he can find help for it. Bo has an infected eye that is, he's going to lose his eye unless he gets medical help and the ship won't let him leave to get it attended to. Bo is 45 years old and works on a cruise ship and has been told that this is his last contract, contract on the cruise ship because he's too old. I know you think 45 is old, but trust me, from my point of view, it's not old. And that Bo was from Haiti. And that Bo sat and cried when he said to me, Pastor, there's no work back in Haiti for me. What am I going to do? God tells us to stop, arise, and go. Go to those who are on the fringe, who are disenfranchised. Go to those who are on the outskirts, those who feel oppressed, those who feel lonely, those who feel like they don't fit in, those whose choices have been taken away from them. Go and bless them by just being there and listening. God will do the rest. Do you understand that? What he needs is servants. What he needs are people who say, here I am. People like Mary, who when the angel came to Mary and said, blessed are you, because this day you will be, the power of the Most High will come upon you and you will give birth to a Savior. And she says, how is that possible? I have not been with a man. And he tells her, and she answers this, be it unto me. And God will do the rest. In your time of Sabbath, listen, refill, recreate, re-energize, praise, and thank him. So that when the time comes that he tells you to arise and go, you're refreshed and you're ready to do it. Study scripture so that when you are asked, what does this mean? You can present an answer. Listen. Listen to me. It doesn't need to be the most perfect presentation. Case in point, look at me. I don't know what I'm doing. When God called me to the ministry out of a life in the seafood business world, I said, you have the wrong person. And he said, no. And when I finished seminary, I said, God, please just do one thing. Don't send me into the mission field and don't make me work in the city. I work in a mission in the center of Boston. When I go on a ship, I say, God, I'm I'm really not a very outgoing person. Believe it or not, on the scales of these psychological tests, I'm off the mark, over to one side when it comes to introvert. I get no energy from speaking to a group of people. I get all my energy from being alone. And yet God takes me and puts me in a place where I have to talk to people from a different culture or cultures who are talking about me in their language. I know they are. (laughs) 
Won't I be surprised when I get to heaven someday and they all come to me and say, no, we were just saying what a nice person you were that you showed up. Really? Oh. My bad. Cornerstone Church, God has given you all great gifts and blessings. He has touched you with the Spirit and with His power. So that this is just a place of Sabbath that you can go out from here, arise and go to the desert places wherever they are, and he will bring people across your path so that you can say, do you understand what's going on? And they say, how can I? Unless somebody says, and he will open your mouth. He will. Because he has the power to do it. He has the power to do it. This is not accidental, this story. In the Psalms, listen to this psalm from Psalm 68. Just sit and listen and enjoy these words. Psalm 68. Your God has commanded your strength. Show thyself strong, O God, who has acted on our behalf. Because of thy temple at Jerusalem, kings will bring gifts to thee. Envoys will come out of Egypt, Ethiopia will quickly stretch out her hands to God. Sing to God, O kingdoms of the earth. Sing praises to the Lord, to him who rides upon the highest heavens, which are from ancient times. Behold, he speaks forth with his voice, a mighty voice. Ascribe strength to God. His majesty is over Israel, and his strength is in their skies. O God, thou art awesome from thy sanctuary. The God of Israel himself gives strength and power to the people of God. Blessed be God. And all of Cornerstone said, Amen. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. All of Cornerstone said, Do you mean that? Do you mean that? Do you believe that God has all power and strength to use you in whatever situation he has placed you? No matter how oppressive it is, no matter how joyful it is, God can use you where he places you. If you believe that, I really need to hear a serious, committed amen. I only say that because I long for you to be filled with that power each and every day. I long for me to be filled with that power each and every day. Of myself, I really don't have it. I don't have it. And maybe you feel the same way. But walking in the footsteps of our Lord, we are promised that power. We're going to, in closing, we're going to watch a video. I'm going to give them a few minutes to line it up. This is a video that is near and dear to my heart. It's going to show you a few things. One is going to show you uh, what our ministry does right nearby here over at Black Falcon Pier in South Boston. I go on board industrial ships and visit with crew members, as I said to you. But one of our ministries also is we have a cruise ship ministry. When the cruise ships come into Boston Harbor for six months out of the year, they dock at Black Falcon. And our center is set up with a lot of services for them. And the crew members come in and they receive a type of Sabbath. They receive a sense where their dignity and their humanity is given back to them. They work seven days a week, 14 hours a day. They do not get a day off. They have maybe one hour to accomplish things. Our mission, our vision is to let them know that God has not forgotten them. This is also a video that was made by my daughter just before she went off to Europe uh, to study abroad. She said, Dad... I want to come in and I want to make a mission. I didn't ask her. She volunteered it. I said, really? She said, yeah. She said, I've seen your videos. And the guy who made it, one of my interns from Princeton Ceremony, it's kind of boring because he's old. 
He's 26. I mean, give me a break. <laughs> she wanted to make something a little more closer to her. So she made this video, and one morning she said, let's get up and let's go watch the sunrise and watch the ships come in. She said, and I'll shoot the video and I'll put the music to it. You don't have to do anything. Just be there and, and whatnot. So she made this video. I hope that you also see the many faces of people that come in. You'll see the seafarers from 159 nationalities in total. You'll see our volunteers who come from all over the East Coast, from all over New England. You'll see an opportunity where if this fascinates you, you can take part of this ministry. Our cruise ship season is coming just around the corner, April, the end of April. It's not far off. It's an opportunity for you to be engaged. I'm blessed that Hojin has agreed to come on board our board of trustees at the Seafarers Mission so that we can have a connection now between Cornerstone and my organization and look forward to perhaps partnering with some of you um, even more. So with that, I'm going to end. Um, Thank you for this time. I'm going to have this video play, and then I'll be done. I'm not going to get back up again. If you have any questions following the service, please come find me. I'd be happy to talk with you and uh, give you some more information about that. You've been very kind to let me come today. Thank you so much.